Almost 20,000 people died last year in excess of what was expected, even taking COVID into account. Aldi under fire for copyright infringements with claims its home brand products look too much like branded competitors. And former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson leaves Downing Street with one final effort to give his father a knighthood. It's Tuesday, the 7th of March, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, an interesting chat today coming up after the show with Liam Connolly, who leads the energy transition practice at Bain Consulting. This is really fascinating the way he sets this all out. Yes, so it's about how well Australia is doing in the energy transition, how we stack up against other countries, what more needs to be done, the role of business, the role of government. It's a fascinating chat. Yeah, we've talked a lot about energy transition, but I reckon Liam probably puts it in the the clearest language and just kind of explains exactly what is ahead for business in Australia. So it's well worth sticking around for. But the main story this morning, Sean, almost 20,000 more people died in Australia last year than anticipated with about half of those COVID-19 related. Yes, it was the highest number of excessive deaths since World War II, according to the Actuaries Institute. It's normal to see one or two percent differences in death rates across years. 20,000, though, is enormous. There were excess death rates across all states and age groups, with a notable rise among females under 44 years. About half the increase is due to deaths from COVID-19, then another 13% or so include COVID as a contributing factor, but that still leaves around 6,600 excess deaths where the coronavirus had no role. There was a jump in deaths from heart attacks, diabetes, and to a lesser extent, cancer, but deaths from respiratory diseases were 10% lower than expected. Why? What's behind all of this? It's not really clear, and I think that's what's so interesting. Probably COVID-19 is linked to deaths from heart disease, but not identified as a causative link. That's what's hypothesised anyway. Also, people with non-COVID illnesses didn't get the care they would, by choice, during COVID peaks. Therefore, the peaks in non-COVID-19 excess deaths at times of high COVID-19 deaths probably isn't unusual because people weren't going and getting help. The jump in the number of influenza deaths supports this hypothesis. Also, whilst the pandemic was in full flight, Australia, outside COVID, was generally healthier during the pandemic, and that's triggered what's called a mortality displacement, a catch-up effect. There are a few other lesser reasons for the increase, according to the Actuaries Institute. Possibly there were undiagnosed COVID cases, possibly there's greater mental health challenges, and also pandemic-induced lifestyle changes could have contributed to that bottom line number. Still, Michael, 20,000 more people died than anticipated, an enormous number. That is a really kind of fascinating set of statistics. Pretty grim though, isn't it? It's very grim. Very, very grim. Sean, uh, give us something a little bit more uh, positive. How did local markets perform yesterday? Nice segue because it was a good day in the market. The S&P ASX 200 finished the day up 0.6% to 7,329 points. Lots of strong sectors yesterday. Consumer discretionary did well. Real estate did well. Financials did well. It was a good day for tech stocks on the back of Wall Street over the weekend. The Afterpay owner block led the way, rising 5.5%. Zero jumped 4% and Altium was up 2%. Among the large caps, Macquarie Group and West Farmers were both standouts, rising 2.4%. Goodman Group, Westpac and ANZ all did 
did well. Best in the day, though, was Brain Chip Holdings, up nearly 17% after it announced the second generation of its artificial intelligence platform. Worst was Linus Rare Earths, down 4.5%. Bit of corporate news around. Car Repair Group AMA said insurers are writing off cars that would normally be fixed because the waiting time for parts and repairs is so long. It came as AMA announced a better underlying profit, but its share price fell 2%. Metal recycling company Sims said it will sell its 50% stake in renewable energy group LMS Energy, which operates 36 plants, turning biogas into energy, and six solar plants. Downer EDI lost another director yesterday. Peter Watson said he'd step down in the middle of this year. Of course, it follows the resignation of the chair on Friday. Last week, that company lost the chief executive and a chief financial officer. What's going on there? Of course, it's a big day locally with the Reserve Bank board tipped to lift the official cash rate to 3.6%. That'd be a new high since May 2012. It's actually a big week for equity investors with about $1.4 billion in dividends due to be paid out. The peak week for dividends, Michael, starts 27 March. It's three weeks away. More than $19 billion is due to be paid out, according to the Financial Review. Sean, a question for you about how the Reserve Bank Board announces the increase to the official cash rate. Yeah. When that decision comes through, and it's usually it's 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time, isn't it? Yep. When that comes through, how is it done? Is it just updated on their website or they send out a press release or how do they actually communicate it? Because I've always wondered kind of do you have economists kind of gathered around a computer waiting to see or just how take me inside the actual process. Oh, so from my experience, it's very much everyone's waiting to see what rba.gov.au does. So uploads on the website and everyone jumps at it. 20 years ago, you just managed to be a Bloomberg reporter or a Reuters report. And the idea was they'd get the information at the bank's head office in Martin Place, race back, type it up, send it off. And the first one to get it out there was was the winner effectively. Nowadays, I think everyone just looks at rba.gov.au, but they do crowd around computers literally to see what's going on. Be quite exciting. Does it ever leak before 2.30? It hasn't, which I think is quite remarkable. Yeah. Because, I mean, imagine the safety systems and things like that going on in there, but it hasn't ever leaked. But, yeah, which is probably a pretty good job from the central bank. Yeah, because you would think that's one of those occasions when a leak would have significant impact on financial markets. Just occasionally a a press commentator or even a market economist kind of says something that suggests they know something or it's funny and so people have traded off you know, individual. So I remember working at the Sydney Morning Herald and they've got a great economics writer, Ross Gittins. And not that Ross ever knew what was going on, right? But people believed that he knew. So sometimes when he wrote a column, that would actually change people's thinking about what was going to happen to interest rates. And I think that's the closest you could get to. Not, I'm quite sure, well, I don't know, but I'm quite sure Ross never got a leak because the Reserve Bank just doesn't leak. Well, no. Not yet anyway. But it, it kind of goes, to, you've got Ross, who's kind of very good at kind of picking the way things are going to go. It's kind of like Bill Evans at um, Westpac in terms of house prices and things. People who are have been watching it for so long that are able yeah. to kind of predict it almost better than, than anybody. Yeah. And there are certainly people who have made a living picking what the Reserve Bank is going to do. In fact, market economists really, if you, what's their number one job? Probably working out what's going to happen to interest rates. Okay. All right. Well, look, I, I took us a fair way away from where we were supposed to go to Sam, but thank you for indulging me on that one. Uh, international markets, what's been happening? Look, the drop in coal prices shows no sign of slowing. Benchmark Newcastle coal prices 
fell 3% yesterday. They're around 187 US dollars a tonne. Now, that's half the level of January 5 this year. It reflects the fall in global energy prices as the Northern Hemisphere winter remains mild. Of course, that winter is coming to an end, so that will take further pressure off it. Also, European nations have been able to scramble reliable energy supplies from sources outside of Russia. Now, coal prices are back to late 2021 prices. However, they are well above prices recorded from 2010 to about 2020. So historically speaking, they are still relatively high. Also, Michael, yesterday we talked about China's slightly disappointing 5% growth target for the year. That's had an impact on global markets, including the Aussie dollar, which has fallen back towards 67 US cents. All right, there's a bit happening. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, Parliament is back in session this week and the opposition clearly thinks it's on a winner around energy prices and changes to superannuation rules for people with balances over $3 million. Yes, they were among the main points of attack in question time yesterday on energy. The Prime Minister highlighted the opposition's decision to not back power price cap legislation last year. And on super, he said the changes will impact half of 1% of the population, including 17 Australians with super balances of more than $100 million. Imagine that, $100 million in your super account. Incredible. The opposition also asked about stage three tax cuts due to kick in next year. Albanese said the government hadn't changed its position, though he does look to be squirming on this issue. And in the Senate, Sean, Finance Minister Katie Gallagher gave more information about how many people will be affected by those superannuation tax changes in the future. Yes, and this is much more difficult for the government to defend, notwithstanding a couple of polls this week show that the population generally agree with the changes. In 30 years' time, quite a while, Treasury predicts that roughly the top 10% of earners will retire with super balances of around $3 million. So that's why the opposition is saying these tax changes will affect many, many more people. And former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was in front of the RoboDebt Royal Commission. Yes, the Royal Commission is looking at why thousands of welfare recipients were incorrectly told they owed money to the government, many of whom paid up, and who in the former government, that's the Morrison government, knew that the scheme was in fact illegal. Former Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who oversaw the program, has already appeared. Yesterday it was Turnbull's turn. He said he'd recommended that the Digital Transformation Agency be brought in during January 2017 to improve the scheme. That didn't happen. He also said it didn't occur to him that the scheme might be illegal. Sean, Australia's top spy agency has taken a a swipe at social media platforms for allowing disinformation and misinformation to proliferate and flourish, blaming design features. Yes, it's interesting. In a submission to a federal inquiry, the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation warns that many of the deliberate features of platforms, such as recommended algorithms that prioritise content or allow for anonymity and identity shielding or have limited content moderation capabilities, can exacerbate the risk of the service being used to conduct foreign interference in Australia. ASIO added that not all social media platforms have rigorous identity verification, and this could be weaponized to enable foreign interference. Now, the submission comes as nations, including the US, India, and Canada, look to limit the spread of TikTok, owned by Chinese company ByteDance. It's happening in Australia too. TikTok has been banned from work-issued devices by 25 federal agencies and departments, including Foreign Affairs and Trade, Prime Minister and Cabinet, and Finance. 
Now, I mentioned this one at the top of the show, Sean. I think this is fantastic. Whenever you go into Aldi, much of the packaging of products looks remarkably similar to packaging of similar products by big name brands, but not sold at Aldi. Now the supermarket chain is being sued for that. I have often wondered about this because you go to Aldi and you think you're picking up a product you know and you look at it a bit closer and it's a totally different brand. And and you just wonder how some of them, you go, they are so close to the original. Yeah. How do they get away with it? Yeah. So Australian children's snack food brand Little Bellies is suing Aldi for alleged copyright breaches of several organic fruit and vegetable puff snacks. Aldi's known for mimicking well-known brands and it creates comparable in-house products at a much cheaper price. It has been sued before, but it always walks away a bit of a winner, even if it has to appeal. It had a big fight back in 2001 when it first opened against snack food giant Frito-Lay, which alleged breach of its twisty trademark. Aldi won that one. It just seems that Aldi is very good at getting in-house products close, but not too close to branded name products. Now, having said that, I know it has lost cases in the UK on this exact issue. I think one of the the kind of the most prominent ones, Sean, that you see in there is the uh, knockoff Nespresso brand. Yes. It was Expressi, I think it is, (laughs) which is alarmingly close to Nespresso. And all the products are very similar. And you know what? Even the pods are compatible between the the two machines. As it turns out. Yeah, I know. What a coincidence. Now, Sean, Melbourne Airport is set for 24 hours of disruption from midnight tonight after refuelers said they will strike. Yes, the fight is between the Transport Workers Union and Rivet Energy, which runs refuelling operations at Melbourne Airport. It will affect all airlines with Qantas hit hardest, given it's the biggest. Let's hope, Michael, the two sides can come to some sort of agreement before tomorrow. Yeah, fingers crossed that would cause a lot of disruption. Uh, In international news, Sean, South Korea and Japan have signalled a breakthrough to end a 70-year-old feud that's damaged ties everything from trade to security. Yes, the South Korean government yesterday said it would seek to resolve relations by having local companies create a fund to compensate people who were forced to work for Japanese companies during the 1910 to 1945 colonisation of the Korean Peninsula. Now, Japan welcomed the effort to return ties to a healthy state. Korea obviously need to improve trade relations with Japan, and I think that's part of the reason they're doing it. Joe Biden, the US president, also praised the news. How about this one, Sean? Tesla has cut prices on its two most expensive electric vehicles in the United States. This is according to the company's website. Just days after Chief Executive Elon Musk said recent price cuts on other models had stoked demand. Yes, the price cuts, Tesla's fifth adjustment since the start of the year, ranged from 4% on the performance version of the Model S to 9% on the more expensive Model X. According to Reuters, Musk has said repeatedly in recent months that Tesla would focus on bringing prices down to drive demand and that it had been a success in sparking orders with global discounts introduced in January. Remember, Tesla slashed prices on many of its cars across most markets in January, offering discounts of up to 20%. Musk wants to do exactly the same style of thing at the luxury end of the Tesla market. And finally, Sean, you've got to give it to former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, The Times is reporting that he has put his father's name forward for a knighthood in his resignation honours list. Don't you love it? You can't keep a good man down. You know what? Just why not? Just whack a few extra names oh. on the list. If you're on the way out the door, just just jam as many through as you can. He put, in fact, Boris Johnson put forward about a hundred names, including his father, Stanley Johnson. Now the list is currently going through 
cabinet office vetting. And apparently, it's much, much longer than those of his predecessors. So Theresa May's resignation honours ran to 60 people. David Cameron was at 62. Boris, of course, at 100. Previously, Johnson nominated his brother Joe, a former minister, for a peerage. That was back in 2020. He's now Lord Johnson of Marylebone. The latest nomination will also be the subject of scrutiny after allegations by two women in 2021 that Stanley Johnson had touched them inappropriately. Sean, this idea of a resignation honours list is an interesting one, that you get to do this on the way out. Do all outgoing prime ministers there get to do it? Because Liz Truss was only prime minister for 50 days. So there's a chance that the number of people that she puts forward could outnumber the days (laughs) that she actually served in office. Yes, I don't know whether she put forward any or not, but it would be a great, it's a great question. Hmm, I'm going to find that one out. I'll come back to you tomorrow on that one, Sean. Now, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Your guest today is Liam Connolly, who leads the energy transition practice at Bain Consulting. As you said earlier in the show, just a great English version of what's happening in the energy transition in Australia, just in plain English. Liam puts it very well. Well worth a listen, that one. Yeah, it sure is. Coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Tuesday, the 7th of March, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day. <laughs>